To the measure of a fan, a Star Trek podcast in which two Star Trek nerds take a Star Trek new guy through all of Star Trek in chronological order. Our intro, I think I need to say Star Trek a bit less in it, but there we yeah. go. I'm PJ Montgomery, and I am joined by two other people to colonize a brand new world today: Matt Troy, what's up, and Elliot Red. Hi. This week we're looking at Terra Nova, season one episode of Enterprise. The credits for this one, it was a story by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, but the teleplay was actually by Antoinette Stella, which is a name I don't know. But the director, like that is a familiar episode. name. It does, yeah. I, I was wondering if it's a pseudonym. Mm. Uh, I know the director, though, because that was LeVar Burton. Yeah. Who was famous oh, really? for obviously being the guy from Blue's Clues. No way. The US version, I assume. He, we, had a, we had a Blue's yeah, Clues over here with a different wrong. guy. But Who, I mean, no, reading Rainbow. Reading Rainbow. Reading that's Rainbow. Levada. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, we'll just cut, and then I'll say, "Reading Rainbow." I'm the editor. I get final say I whether I actually say, cut or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm just going to come out and say it. This episode is shit. I'm going to say this is the shittest one so far. Interesting. I enjoyed it more than all four of the other episodes so far. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you who agrees with me and Matt, and who in fact says this is the worst episode of Enterprise, which I don't agree with, but that's this this person's opinion. Brandon Braga. Oh. Yeah. I did not this see the Brandon last Braga. one. <laughs> Probably not during that interview. No, maybe not. But yeah, this is Brandon Braga's least favorite episode of enterprise is how he refers to it he he says it's really bad so oh wow yeah i guess well i guess we'll just get into it and and see how we get on i didn't make that many notes on this one i gotta be honest i was just in a whole state of why is this happening to me yeah (laughs) i i certainly can't say that it's still a good episode of a good tv show but I definitely <laughs> it's not that no no I definitely enjoyed it more than all four of the other episodes. It felt like the crew in this episode actually gave a shit about being good at their jobs for the first time, like and okay. especially Archer. And I like that. Too. It, it it definitely made a difference to the tone of the episode. I'll take that actually. I'll take that because I can kind of see that, but beneath them being marginally more competent as uh, individuals, <laughs> the entire setup of everything else that Earth has done up until that point uh, is brought into question. Oh, yeah, by the this plot episode. was bullshit. <laughs> 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 so we open our teaser this week is Travis and Hoshi looking at 
some records and documents about this colony that Enterprise is, is heading towards Terra Nova. And that really does, that That teaser sets this up to be a Travis episode. He seems to know a lot about it, yeah. and there's a mystery about what's happened. There's been no contact with it, and you see some nice screenshots, uh, including a shot of the ship that they arrived on, the SS Conestoga? Conestoga, yeah. Now, Matt, can you tell us some more about this ship, please? Um, well, it's the only time that I think it ever appears, and that's it's in a background fleet scene in one of the future episodes, not one of the fighty ones, but maybe one of the convoy ones. I'm fairly certain this might just be the only... It's just, just basically a colony transport ship. Um, it's called Conestoga, which I believe is probably a place name in America, but it's also the type of wagons that you that they went west on, Conestoga-covered wagons. Okay. Mm. And also, it falls into the line. There's a lot of ships with ogre at the end of it, like Saratoga, Ticonderoga. It's a, obviously going to be a, um, a Native American sort of uh, term, I'm, I'm guessing, by the, the fact that, you know, we, I don't know what it means, and there are several of them. <laughs> okay. Well, there we go. So that's that. And then that's our teaser, really, isn't it? It just goes, Archer asks, are we there yeah. yet? Because mm. they're trying yeah, to be funny. That didn't right. work. Yeah, are we there yet? It, that <laughs> may be Trump's him sort of falling in the shower in the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit worried I mean, about. I think this is a slightly better teaser than that at least it sets us up we're going to this new place and nobody's heard from these people for ages okay cool i know where we're going now sort of the setup um, is great it's it's the lost yeah. colony of roanoke isn't it it's the um yeah it, it's that whole thing um or any lost colony story but i mean if you've ever watched the original series of star trek and then this happens i think you've got a fair idea that something is that if you don't at least find a Wild West world or uh, a Rome world, <laughs> there's going to be children. <laughs> True. I think this was also the first instance of something having already existed that they have knowledge about rather than just, oh, we've encountered something. It's like, okay, yeah. well, we have history about this thing. We need to check it out. Let's actually, we've got an actual like mission with information about it rather than just discover. Like... So there was actually yeah. a, a bit of mystery to it when they landed on the planet, and it's like, okay, well, why? What happened? And everything. At least more well, than think, some of the other things that happened in the other episodes, I felt. It's it's funny to me that, Matt, you mentioned the, the original series there, because my overriding feeling on this episode is it's just an original series script they found that didn't get made, and they just changed the names on it and did fuck all <laughs> else. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I also have like a, a couple of problems with this whole uh, mission that this the Conestoga took as well. So it took nine years for them to get there. So we're assuming that whatever, sh- like the Conestoga is pushing like maybe warp 1.5 or something like that, you know? Because they do state that it's like, you know, 20 light years away. So as warp expands exponentially, and sorry, Elliot, this is something that you're going to have to deal with now. <laughs> so warp one is like the speed of light or slightly more than. But then warp yeah. two... I think expands again, so it might be four times the speed of light. And I need to like check. There's probably something online, a calculator that I can look at. So then you get to warp three, and it's like sixteen times the speed of light. You get to warp four, it's like you know hundred times the speed of light. So yeah, every it, the speed scales unhelpfully expand exponentially, which makes it incredibly difficult to tell how fast people are going. And obviously, when the writers are writing Star Trek, they're like, oh. This ship's traveling at warp four. 
uh, and this ship is slowly catching up on it because it's traveling at warp five. What would actually happen is it almost instantaneously, the ship being at warp five would have overtaken the ship traveling at warp four. <laughs> so, yeah, I've said warp a lot. You said Star Trek a lot. <laughs> will we say shit a lot? I don't know. <laughs> and and at some point, Elliot, we'll uh, we'll get to warp ten, but that is a ways off. That is a way off. My point no, is, I, point I actually you. have a memory of watching of you watching Star Trek and me walking in when I was young. And Picard going warp nine, yeah. For some reason, with a guest for someone on that was on the ship that he'd wanted off the ship, and he wanted to get where he was going really quickly, and he goes warp nine. That's all yeah, I remember. Warp nine is the fastest speed that Federation starships and other other warp capable ships can do. That's warp nine is the top of the warp scale, warp and then warp ten something. is like yeah, yeah, and then warp ten is like theoretical infinite speed. But that, that's getting way ahead of ourselves because the point I wanted to make by mentioning this warp scale thing yeah. is that, like, literally in the 70 years that followed that ship going to that planet, a ship going at warp three would probably be able to get there in a couple of months. Uh, mm. And it's already been established that there are other ships that can travel at like warp three and warp four. So why did nobody go? It's, it's completely, it's 20 light years away. Is literally on their doorstep. Like Travis's family have gone out way further than this already, mm-hmm. and nobody has gone to this stupid, <laughs> stupid ass planet. <laughs> <laughs> well, they get we get a scene there between Archer to Paul and Trip, where they're talking about going to this place, and and Trip's like, "Well, why don't the Vulcans know about this? Because they have to explain it all to T'Pol. And and then I did enjoy the, we had to learn about all the Vulcan spacefaring missions in school and T'Pol going, name one. Yep, and I did enjoy that. Not, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> you know all the Vulcan space missions, name one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the mission with the Vulcans in space, that one. But again, this is a really valid point. Why didn't Earth at any point go, oh, um, we lost contact with a colony. Like, it's really important because that's an M-class planet that's 20 light years away from Earth. If the Klingons put a base down there, they could be on Earth in in less than, probably in less than days. I would imagine, considering some Klingon ships, I think, can travel at warp 7 or warp 6. Could probably be on Earth in hours from that planet. You want to get that shit. Like, me, a layman, me, an idiot, the Federation, um, not the Federation, Earth, uh, United Earth, we're just what the hell are they doing? <laughs> like that's a whole planet you can live on, colonize, mine. You could sleep with it yeah. if you wanted to. <laughs> and then they lose communication and just sort of go, Well, that's a mystery we can never solve. Yeah. And I wonder oh, if so they, they literally ghosted away the planet. Yeah, like the, they probably was a Vulcan who went. We could send a. We'll never solve it. I mean, we could easily send a ship. We've got really. It's just never going to be solved. And the other thing that really, really gets my goat about this episode and this planet is that every chance we get, if somebody says define mankind, oh, they're natural explorers. Like, no, we're not. There's a planet no. on our doorstep. And we never went back. <laughs> we're, we're natural. Uh, can I just sleep on the sofa in my pyjamas today? That's our natural state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, to put this in context, like, our closest star, our closest sort of binary star system is the Alpha Centauri, Proxima Centauri system. 
which is four light years away. So I'm assuming we've got like a base there, or at the very least, like a, a service station there. You know, mm. like yeah, with a with a McDonald's and yeah, and yeah, like like Smiths in it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, there's going to be overpriced Burger King. There's going to be a shop that sells Quillows, which is a quilt and a pillow, and w- <laughs> wooden ducks in Wellingtons. I'm assuming like yeah. all service stations have this. You're at least out there. That's four light years away from you. If you're traveling at warp <laughs> one, I guess it would take you four years to get there. If you're traveling at warp two, you could probably be there in a couple of weeks. And and this fucking planet is twenty light years away. It's it's like nearly just like five times the distance and nobody's been back. Okay, I'm done now. <laughs> but now, finally, the Enterprise is going there. For reasons. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> Was it just because they, they, they were in the vicinity? I would imagine I... so, yeah. Yeah, probably. Uh, which which says to me they haven't actually got very far on. They went to Kronos and then they came back and went out again. And it's in between Earth and and Terra Nova that they've encountered the the dead bug people on the ship, the haunted house ship, and oh, yeah. got pregnant. There's there's been a lot happening in that twenty light years. Oh my god! I found a warp speed calculator. Carry oh, on. Dear. I'll be with you in a sec. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so they go to Archie the planet. planet, yeah. With uh, with he takes Travis to fly the shuttle and Malcolm because security, and to Paul because Vulcan, <laughs> science officer as well. I, I guess Malcolm was probably the most irritating of the crew again in this episode. I know yep. that's not saying a lot, but there's it, just like you know, oh, Captain, <laughs> leave me behind. I'm so dreadfully British. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. They they get down and they find this this abandoned. It's not even a town. It's like a couple of sheds. Uh, that I do like that they they built their their structures out of the ship that they arrived yeah. on. That's quite cool. Uh, uh, I like nice the little tumbleweed as well in the ghost town. <laughs> That was just lame when they go into this barn and a tumbleweed blows past behind them and you know there was someone just stood behind that door who chucked it. Yep. With a hairdryer, like, blowing it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yep, well, this is on the nose. That's not going to get any better. And again, and then, Malcolm then going into those caves and he's like, I'd best, uh, it's best if I went in first, sir, because nobody cares if I die or not. <laughs> and then he just, <laughs> like, like, dives through the hole. Like Archer well, I'm going to say, like they, they see the dude first, and he starts chasing the dude. And I'm going to say oh, here, yeah. Dominic Keating, not a natural runner. No, <laughs> no. Then they see an armadillo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, as well, I think we've mentioned it. It's been mentioned on the show um, at this point, but uh, they have a situation room, which I can't remember if that's come up before. Which um, I, I believe was going to mention that, that too. Yeah, is it named after Michael the Situation Sorrentino from um, <laughs> Jersey Shore? This is like a Sorrentino Memorial Situation Room. <laughs> I'm going to go with no. <laughs> I'm going to go but with I... yeah. Okay, that's your head cannon. <laughs> but no, I, I like that it's a Situation Room. It's this tiny little cramped thing with no chairs and just a big table with a screen in the middle of it. And I like that sort of as Star Trek progresses and it becomes more about diplomacy, they they become a conference room in the future. 
but at the moment, just a situation room. Mm. Yeah. What happens next? I don't remember. Malcolm they, gets... they go through some caves and then they look at the. They find like a place where they're clearly cooking some digger meat and stuff, and then they look up with the torches oh, yeah, and they're all yeah. round the round the edges with their faces covered in mud. Cave. There's a couple of th- couple of little factoids in here which I quite like. I like the kind of way they got into that cave network because I don't know if they were consciously aware of this or even if this had been discovered at the time, but there are cave networks in South Africa um, that have that same kind of like access where you kind of have to get in your hands and knees or get in your belly and crawl through and inside mm-hmm. the caves and they found like lots of intricate cave paintings inside. So if they were sort of a historical civilization, that would have been the kind of thing that they might have done to hide from the elements. I thought that was quite cool. Also, I really liked the people in terms of the fact that they were obviously not aliens at all, mm. one bit, even to us, yeah. because they were just guys with mud on their face. It, it was it was like Braveheart cosplay. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and nobody noticed. Nobody was... I mean, I suppose we have to look at the fact that we and the people in the show are painfully aware that most aliens are just guys with lumpy heads, you know, with the ridges or the big <laughs> yeah. ears. Yeah, I mean, they are as in the dark about that. Like, they have such difficulty in telling actual just people with, like, a bit of gunk on their face apart from literal actual aliens. Yeah, well, yeah does, doesn't Malcolm say he had scales? Yeah, he did. And that's just clothes, mate. Yeah, usually <laughs> in a show like this, and indeed in... In other Star Trek iterations, if somebody is in a disguise, like the people are aware enough that it's a disguise and not their actual face, like we assume that they are seeing more than we are as people who have to watch like bozos in rubber heads running around some back lot somewhere in California. So at, at once it was kind of like, oh, cool. They see what we see. They're not seeing more. And at the same time, it was like, that's really lame. Aliens are really disappointing <laughs> in this universe. <laughs> <laughs> but these, these, these primitive humans do have machine guns. Yeah, which still work. And that they know how to use, because they shoot Malcolm in the leg. And Archer's just like, yeah, I'm leaving you behind. Screw you. And runs off. You know, for once, I actually applauded that as, as something that happened. Because all too often in science fiction, or any show really, they'll just spend the next like half an hour trying to find that guy in the cave network while everybody else is trying to figure out what's happened to them on the surface. This was actual good forward thinking by a character in the show for once. Go to the surface, get help. Don't do it yourself, even if you feel guilty. Yeah, I yeah, agree with that. Get back to the ship where we can use the scanners to find him because that's much better than me trying to use my eyes in these dark caves. Yes. And so that's what they do. And they use the scanners and they find Malcolm and they go back to the caves. And then Eric Avari shows up. Who I yeah, only Eric know Avari as from Daredevil. He is yes, he was in Daredevil. <laughs> he was in it's the only thing I know. He's, he, he is he, regular Star Trek uh, guest star, I believe. He was in both Next yeah, Generation yeah, and, and Deep Space Nine. And Deep Space Nine, yeah. He plays that really annoying Vedic in that episode, doesn't he? That oh, God, yes, yes. It uh, really gets my my nerves. Um, what does he who does he play in? Um, oh, he's in Unification, isn't he? He is. I, I can't remember who he plays in that though. <laughs> Some random. Um, yeah, that's a, 
the the first of our I believe the first of us sort of oh no James Cromwell's been in it as well but um there are a few regular guest actors and just just to say now Elliot one of the best ones coming up next episode as well but we'll get to that but uh, yeah Eric Avari and his mother turn up and yeah there's lots of archers saying no you're humans and they're saying no we're not you're humans and we hate humans because you dropped acid rain on us <laughs> yeah I it's Again, it's very weird. This, this, this whole episode is very weird. And I can never quite get over the fact that when we find out... I mean, where are we in this episode now? So, yeah, they found these guys. She's got the cancer. They take them back to Enterprise to cure her. And but leave Malcolm behind. because Yeah, they leave Malcolm behind because literally no one gives a shit about him. <laughs> and it's important to remember that. But they take her up to, to, the, to the Enterprise... And they don't have any problem with that. Despite the fact that yeah. they think that humans killed them, they have no problem with going up to the Enterprise at all. I Yeah, it's a bit odd, but I could think there was just desperation, or at least trying to show that there was desperation in the in Avari's character to get his mum well. When he heard there was a chance to get her well, he, was, he changed his tone, I think is the point. Not that it yeah. landed well. Yeah, I guess so. I just feel that... It, it kind of smacks of like a really weird sort of um, white savior thing. Like if this was some kind of show whereby these were kind of native sorts and the humans were represented by like white Europeans, I, I can't see that. I can't see that trust being given so easily, but then again, well, not just that. He, he then times, didn't trust from that point onwards. Still, when he got to the ship, he still didn't trust them and everything he did. He was like, you bastards. So yeah, that is like, true. Yeah, so they, why they did cure... he go in the first place? You wonder. Like, <laughs> they, they cure her name is Nadette, and they cure her lung cancer, which is very nice. And then they show her a photo of her with her parents on the colony, and go, "See, you're human, and your name is Bernadette." Ah. And yeah, there's lots of there's basically radiation on the planet, and because. The colonists who survived were all five years or under, because apparently five-year-olds and younger have a have a higher tolerance of radiation poisoning or something. Yeah, apparently, apparently if you're kind of born into it, then you have more tolerance to it. And that's what that's what the oldest people in the left on the planet are. They are the five-year-olds who were there when yeah. an asteroid so, hit and radiated the planet. Let's talk about let's that. Talk. Let's well, I'm that. disappointed that they didn't all irradiate into giant Shrek people. <laughs> that would have been better. Just but a planet also, of Shreks. Like, a, a whole planet of five-year-olds survived for 70 <laughs> years. So, like, they not only did they survive in, and in hostile conditions as well, they're not, they're not, like, cared for by droids or anything. They survived in a filthy cave network and figured everything out from language to sex to food, everything. To machine guns. Yeah. Which bafflingly, you know, as is famous with machine guns, they need to be regularly dismantled and cleaned and put back together again because they're notoriously fickle moving part uh, beasts. They somehow still have working machine guns. The whole thing as well of, of Archer saying, because they've, they've still got Malcolm down there. They've said, we won't give him back until we're back home and then we'll do a swap and you can just bugger off. And then Archer's like, oh, 
well, we can't go in shooting now. We know they're human. And it's like, and if they weren't, that would be okay. There's a really racist yeah. kind of thing where he's like, humans help other humans, which is yeah. really sinister sounding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I get that they're trying to, in a way that they're sort of trying to say that at this point in Star Trek, humans haven't become the enlightened 23rd, 24th century humans that we will see. But they just make them shits. Yeah, the whole thing is very odd. <laughs> but we do get a lovely scene when uh, down on the planet and Malcolm, first of all, tries to bond with a young human down there by talking about weapons. Oh, my God. Oh, I nice like your gun, gun, mate. That's lovely oh, armor. Oh, what a gun. What a gun, and then, bro. And then he gets to enjoy a lovely jug band recital because they have formed a jug band. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Which, I'm not going to lie, it's um, pretty music, but... <sighs> I mean, yeah, that was that was probably a, a nice highlight of the episode that that kind of made the culture relatable that they've got like their little sort of, you know, jug band underground and they probably write songs <laughs> about eating armadillos. Sorry, I'm playing around with this warp calculator and I'm trying to figure out how long this goddamn <laughs> what speed they must have been going. Well, while you play with the warp calculator, we'll get to the bit oh. where Travis gets something else to do in his episode that's not his episode. Yeah. And he flies down and lands the shuttle on a sinkhole. I mean, there's there's a little bit of Archie going, they're humans, we got to take them back to Earth, and to Paul going, but they don't want to. And Archie goes, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe we won't. Let's just put him in a different continent on this planet. That's fine. He has um, a real weird scene there. And then to Paul, is like, yeah, we should tie them up and stun them and spank them with sticks. And he's like, what are you... he's like, whoa, wait a second. She's like, yeah, I'm just... This is just an example. I'm not saying we should do this, although I know you won't believe that because you're racist against me. <laughs> no, but twice in the episode, T'Pol does just bluntly answer Archer with the words, stun grenades. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I figured it out. It's Warp 1. It's travelling at Warp 1. It is actually 20 years at Warp 1. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but if we put it up to Warp 3 which we know they definitely have, it's 270 days. So what speed were they doing for it to be nine years? Um, yeah, that, that was warp one. It takes nine years of oh, warp right. one. I think that's what my calculations say. Uh, but anyway, yeah, warp three, they could totally be there in two, 275, uh, 270 and a half days um, to get 20, 20 light years. So they could at any point in the last, I reckon, decade or so, have sent somebody out there to this whole planet of all resources that's on Earth's doorstep and nobody thought to do it because they were obviously busy. Uh, I don't even know that's, what they were doing. That's some some lazy paperwork errors happening. Like <laughs> Anyway. Because we're British, are we like sort of some pre predisposition towards like, you know, exploration, colonization and subjudication? We're like, you could just get there in like 20, in, in 270 days. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like a slightly more enlightened earth? They're like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. It's not, it's not going anywhere. We'll get to it. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, but Travis lands on a sinkhole, and then a tree falls in the sinkhole and lands on one of the colonists. So Archer and Eric Avari's characters learn to trust each other so that they can rescue him. I wonder That's about mention. it. That, I mean, that is it, effectively, yeah. But I, one thing I did want to mention is that... Um, that 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 hole, that well set they had with the guy trapped under the tree, pretty good. Yeah, it did look yeah. pretty good. 
I've seen some shit rocks in my in my time as a Star Trek fan. Some real bad rocks, but that it's some polystyrene rocks. rocks. It looked good. I think it was also the first time I've seen a Star Trek tool weapon used efficiently when he cuts the tree in yeah. half. Not you know, I the basic plot element of trust me now. What yeah, whatever. But the cut in the tree was kind of cool because there was a laser. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. And then now they trust each other. They go, okay, we will go live on that other continent because there's less radiation. That's fine then. And then Enterprise leaves and Travis gets invited to dinner for some reason. And Archer says, hey, you can write the report this time. And Travis is all like, yes, score. <laughs> See, to me, the end of that episode was, you could do my paperwork for me today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, if you Yay. just. If you just watched the teaser and that last scene, you'd think it was a Travis episode. But in between those scenes, he has nothing to do. There's one thing he did in that episode that we forgot to to mention, actually. There's one point where everybody's doing something on that planet and he's not present. And he, he's actually doing donuts and some local shit with that. Um, that chocolate <laughs> <laughs> that clean out oh, there is the point as well, actually, where Archer calls him on the communicator and says, go get some torches. <laughs> yeah, that was, really yeah. that was his contribution. He got some torches. He didn't even shoot anybody on the surface, did he? he got, did he get, like, rattled? No. He just went to get the torches. Yeah. <laughs> and then at dinner, he's like, hey, you know the mysteries of, of the, I can't remember the first one he mentions, but then he mentions Amelia Earhart, which I found amusing because earlier well, in Star Crater, Trek... I think he mentions, yeah. That's it, yes, Judge Crater. And then, he, yeah, he mentions Amelia Earhart, which Star Trek will solve in like 300 years' time. And we are on the cusp of solving right now as, as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're following that at all, but I think that they are very close to uh, potentially identifying the plane and uh and finding out exactly what did happen to Amelia Earhart, uh according to some podcasts I've been listening to. Ever heard of Judge Crater? Crater? Disappeared in the early twentieth century. How about Amelia Earhart? No. Nineteen thirty seven. Never found a trace of her. A lot of people spent years, decades trying to figure out what happened to them. But neither of those mysteries holds a candle to Terra Nova. And we solved it. Did more than that. Those people were a year or two away from extinction. We didn't just find them. We saved their lives. All these years, wondering about that colony. I never thought I'd become a part of their history. Tell you what, Travis. Why don't you put together the report for Starfleet? If I'm not mistaken, it'll be headline news back home. The Terra Nova puzzle, solved at last, as told by Ensign Travis Mayweather. Thank you, sir. Well, there we go. So, Enterprise just dating itself. Cool. I mean, it does that all the time. Yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> That happens throughout the episodes. It not dates itself so much that you almost feel like it's Ted Danson in an episode of Cheers dating a mirror. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just so bad. It's like, I mean, it has less of an excuse than even the next generation. 
um, which, you know, admittedly, they began filming that at the end of the 80s, and there was a lot that, that has come to like, you know, Enterprise is, is, is in this century, and it's still incredibly dated. Do you know what dates it most to me is that goddamn intro. Oh, that intro. I wanna I wanted to ask last episode and I forgot to to mention this actually. Is this just a problem that we as white males aged between the ages of like twenty and and, and forty? Are we is it just us that hates it or does everybody hate it? I, I want anybody listening just to to, to let us know, like, does everybody hate that song, or is it just like cynical, nerdy white men that hate it? Um, I know one person who likes it, and he is a white man in our age group. I mean, you know it depends what? If you like that genre of music of just cheesy love ballads, like, even if hey, I love a good cheesy love ballad, that's yeah. not one. It's yeah, it's but. Not everyone cares about the good part of the cheesy love ballad. It's borderline Christian rock. That's yeah, the problem. It is. Yes. It is. It you is. Know? In fact, I think it is Christian rock. You know, it could easily um, pass for it. Well, I know that it's not the original version, but I know that before Enterprise, that it was the Rod Stewart did the version that was used in the film Patch Adams, and oh. to me that. Used being used in that film very much says, yeah, this is probably Christian rock, actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. I uh, still say that Flox is my favorite character. Will will yeah, his uh, his race of alien be at all important ever in the future, or is he just the alien doctor, and that's how it will stay? No, they will come into it. They, I, I like the Denobulans actually. Uh, for they're weird alien species, like. All of the alien species in Star Trek have quirks, but Phlox is such a lovely sort of open character, and you know he he's great rapport with the crew, and his, his race are really kind of odd, <laughs> um, and they will pop up again in the future a couple of times, I think. Yeah, yeah, we yeah we definitely see more of Phlox. I think we we meet some of his family later on as well, don't we? I think. Yeah, I believe so. It's been a while. Yeah. It a has time. so much so. <laughs> Yeah, so much so that I'd forgotten Terra Nova before we watched it, and I, I regret watching it. <laughs> I know, no yeah, we do a Star Trek chronologically. Yeah, it's terrible. Like, <laughs> genuinely, I feel like Elliot. If we weren't making you do it for a podcast, you probably would have stopped there. You'd have gone, nope, I'm done with this. Um, yeah, I probably would have stopped uh, unexpected. To be honest, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Although I have to say. Um, if I remember correctly, our next episode is a pretty good one. Yeah, it is, actually. It, really it's a really good that. one. Elliot, if I said to you the words, the Andorian incident, what would you think? Uh, there was an incident, and either with a person or place, called Andoria. Interesting. <laughs> it's actually about a skiing incident in the uh, small country of Andorra <laughs> between Spain and France. <laughs> Has nothing to do with the rest <laughs> of the show. <laughs> um, no, I, I genuinely seem to recall that is probably the first great episode of Enterprise in my head. I can remember when it first came out and I was in university and um, my housemates were watching it. I can remember like walking in and out of these first few episodes and like kind of feeling like bad that it existed. And then I remember <laughs> it, 
sitting down and watching the next episode and going, oh, there is something to this then. It's going to be something interesting. Yeah, it's it's definitely not not good episode with generally kind of dull plot and convoluted plot, but it's the first time I've been at all invested in the crew's actions. So Okay. I think that, that is definitely a good an, an interesting take and, and interesting to hear that you as the Star Trek newbie had have gotten this far into Enterprise and and, and took that from this particular episode that well, it's just uh, even nice the creators see... don't like. So yeah, well, I, I do think that's interesting. Nice to see Archer go, you know, if I can't even make goddamn contact with other humans, what kind of goddamn captain am I? Like Yeah. Bad one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, do we have anything else to talk about Terra Nova? Yes. Oh, dear. The pool on this planet is unviable. There are 58 people. There's not another generation in those people. Like, the next generation of those people are going to be dangerously inbred. And there's not going to be enough of them to sustain the older generation. They're going to die out. I've got more notes screaming that nobody went there for 70 years. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's the other thing as well. What were these people fucking Amish or something? Like, they went to this planet on a spaceship. There's no like antenna there. There's nothing to like, you know. They they didn't. How didn't they know that this was coming? Like, surely they had a computer or and a satellite. Thing. Like, they should have known that there was an asteroid <laughs> coming. And wasn't they to dismantle the ship's phasers to like make it a toilet? Why were they able to deal with it? Surely, if you're going to travel to a brand new planet, you don't just go there with the same equipment that people went to California with in the 17th and 18th and 19th century after the covered wagon. It doesn't need to just be full of pickaxes and go into a hot air balloon and you could take it you know somewhere else on the planet like 